Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. In the ancient Middle East, towers were built for different purposes. And the first mention of a tower in Scripture is actually in Genesis chapter 11, where the infamous Tower of Babel was built by the ancients to, quote-unquote, make a name for themselves. So that tower was more of a monument to their efforts and their abilities than it was anything else. It's kind of like some houses that we see people build these days. It's all about making a statement. And towers are mentioned after the Exodus, and they had more of a security purpose in mind. Watchtowers were erected to be used for security. In Second Chronicles 14, 7, it says, And he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. In Judges 9, 51, but there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in it, and they went up to the roof of the tower. So we see that towers in the ancient times were something that was pretty common in cities that had walls, and obviously the walls were there to protect them from their enemies. But in the spiritual application, a strong tower is a picture of what God is to us. It's like running to a tower for protection against our enemies. Proverbs 61, verse 3, For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. And in my journey with Jesus, there have been a few times I can remember where the situation looked pretty dangerous, and all I could do is cry out to the Lord to protect me, which he did, and he was indeed my strong tower and fortress in my time of need. 1 John five eighteen. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. When we understand that we belong to God now, and the devil has no authority in our life any longer, we can actually go on the spiritual offensive. We now know God is our king, and he is using us to bring about his plan for this planet, and we know that he's able to do all things. So with this confidence in our lives, we can now step out in faith and rock and roll. And this was the confidence that three young Jewish men had in Daniel chapter 3, verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And that flipped the king's lid, and he threw him in the fiery furnace, and God protected him. And these men, they stood up to the most powerful man in the known world at this time, defying a command from him to bow down and worship an image that he built. And they knew not only that God could save them, but also that if God didn't save them, they were still ready to go to their death standing firm in their faith. That is knowing the power of God. And in the early church, stories like this were very numerous. One of the more famous stories is the bishop of Smyrna named Polycarp. Polycarp was an old man at his departure to heaven, and he had known the Apostle John personally. Polycarp was known as a righteous and holy man, and he was hunted down and martyred in the year around AD 160. 
And prior to being martyred, he was offered a chance to live by simply denying Jesus, to which he gave his famous reply, 86 years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and savior? And then he was sent home to be with his king and savior. He knew that denouncing God was blasphemy, and he was ready to die, and he did die. And there's modern stories like this as well in countries where Christianity is considered illegal, and these people are also willing to go to their deaths instead of denying Jesus. Why? Are all these people from the three men in Daniel up to the present crazy or deceived, or is there something we can learn about this confidence they have where they're willing to lay down their lives? For Jesus. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. Ephesians 3, 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. That confidence comes with knowing Jesus. And as the Holy Spirit enters our lives and we simply believe, we now have the presence of God within us guiding us through this life. And as we yield to the Holy Spirit and learn the ways of the Lord, our confidence in Him grows. And if we continue in faith and grow in our relationship with Jesus, this confidence becomes stronger. Then, when we experience a drama attack, we can simply rest in our fortress, our strong tower, and let the Lord do His work. And getting to this point, that's the trick. And what I have seen over and over in my years of ministry, as well as in my own relationship with the Lord, is that we often can become complacent in our faith, especially when nothing cool happens for a while. Complacency is something that leads straight into compromise where we now find ourselves in a place where we are back in the flesh, resisting the Spirit, doing the things we know we shouldn't do, but convincing ourselves it's okay to do them. And this was precisely the problem that the Israelites had throughout the Old Testament. God would do something great, they would rejoice, proclaim His greatness, things would go good, then things would cool off and they would begin to walk away from God and do their own things based on their own feelings and not God's commandments. Time goes on, they find themselves right back in the same type of bondage that God delivered them from previously. And this seems to be part of human nature. We like darkness. We are drawn to darkness. We feel comfortable dabbling in the forbidden. That is until we begin to suffer the consequences. Then many times we can blame God for allowing this to happen to me. Oh God, why are you doing this to me? And if we take inventory of our spiritual sincerity toward God, we find the answer very quickly. It's on us. It's not God. We have not feared the Lord. We've not obeyed his voice. We've walked away from our fortress, our strong tower. And now we have nowhere to go when things go sideways. I find this true in many older believers who have simply grown calloused to the power of God. They remain in churches, but really have no peace or joy in their lives. They're filled with anxiety. They're filled with frustration, turmoil because of this imperfect, jacked-up world that we're supposed to be a light in. They put on a good show at church until you have a conversation with them, and you realize very quickly they're totally living in the flesh and not in the spirit. And this is where we don't want to be. And Paul hammers this home in Romans chapter 7, which is talking about life in the flesh, in Romans chapter 8, life in the spirit, using his own life as an example. Romans 7, 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. This is Paul talking in the first person. 
So we think the Apostle Paul was this perfect man. He wasn't. He dealt with the flesh just like everybody else. And this is our life according to our own natural passions, relying on our own natural minds as compared to the supernatural influence of the Spirit that is in us. So moving on to Romans 8, where you get victory in the Spirit, it says in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the victory we can expect is when we set our minds on the Spirit. We can have life and peace, but as long as we are obeying our natural inclinations instead of being led by the Holy Spirit, we're ripping ourselves off. We're shooting ourselves in the foot. We're not going to have that life and peace reserved for the obedient child of God. And despite all our efforts to appear righteous in the sight of God, outside of His righteousness in us, we fail miserably. Because in the presence of perfect holiness, there is no way we can be righteous on our own. We are wicked at heart. And all of our sin is revealed in perfect holiness. But when we choose to be led by the Spirit and we consciously override our natural inclinations with the power of the Spirit, that's when the cool stuff happens. And this is when we know we can please God. Over the years, I've done many things in the flesh that I thought were good, trying to please God, but it didn't work. I had no peace at that time, and I got angry because I was working hard. I was putting forth the effort, and and it appeared that God wasn't happy. But when I simply yield to him and trust the direction that he is guiding me, that's when I find that peace and realize I don't have to labor for God on my own, rather simply abide in him, and he does the work that he has determined for me. Not the work that I've determined, but the work that he has determined. He does the work through me, and I still labor, but now it's laboring in obedience rather than doing my own thing. And it's a whole lot better to go down this road And this is where I find my strong tower. Thank you.